0: Good morning. So this morning we're continuing in our series uh, we're calling The Elements of Renewal, and today I get to talk to you. I want to talk to you about prayer. And so before we begin, I really just have to confess to you all that this is probably uh, one of the weakest areas in my spiritual life, but it's been one I've really been trying to grow in recently as I recognize just how vital it is. And so as life gets more complicated and Schedules fill up, and I, and I think about the future and what I want to see happen there, and who I want to be. Man, I believe that, vi- uh, that that prayer is vital. But the truth is, I don't always live like that's true. And so, I think part of that is because I often forget what prayer is and what it's not, or or it's been a while. If it's been a while since I've been in in some time of prayer. It can feel unnatural or uncomfortable, but the reality is that it should be a place of immense comfort, and it should be life-giving because it's time with our God. And so if you're here this morning and you're like me, prayer is probably something that you wish you did more of or did better, but you don't always feel that you know how. And so first, can I tell you, you're not alone in that. Like, in fact, even Jesus' disciples had to come to him and ask uh, that, they, that he would teach them how to pray. And so in the Lord's Prayer, he gives us this great model. But, but I think for me, outside of Christ himself giving us this model of prayer, one of the best places that we can go to learn how to pray is the Psalms. Because there we don't just get a model, but instead we get example after example of songs and prayers from God's people and from David, a man after God's own heart. And so in the Psalms, you see all kinds of prayers, but this morning I want to focus on dependent prayers, and more specifically, prayers from a man in the midst of despair. And so I want to do that for really two reasons. And first, I think it's in these times that we most need or want to go to God, but we don't always feel we have the tools or the confidence. So I want to give us that this morning. But but second, and Evan shared this before. Um, but as, as a church, as the leadership here, we've just felt burdened over the last few months as we've heard from and walked with many of you through yours. And so listen, I'm going to preach on prayers of despair, dependent prayers, because I think we need it. I certainly do. And, and so this morning, I, w- I want to look with you at this Psalm of David, Psalm 143. And, and while we don't know the specific context To when in David's life the psalm was written, its words give us very clear insight to how he was feeling. And with that, what I think makes Psalm 143 so beneficial for us to be familiar with is that we get to see how David processes through those feelings and how he invites the Lord into that process really to guide it. And in so doing, I think it gives us then this framework that we can work off of when we're facing our own times of despair. And so that's the feeling that David's wrestling with as he prays and prayers this psalm. And, and so first, have you ever experienced despair? I think it's a hard thing to describe unless you've lived it, but, but I think the, the sad reality is that many of us have. And so I wouldn't be surprised to find that some of you here today are in the midst of it, even now as I speak this morning. So if you're unfamiliar with what despair is, first, lucky you. And second, the dictionary defines it as the complete loss or absence of hope, hopelessness. So has that been or is that now any of you? This morning, it's not going to be my goal that we find this like perfect how-to guide to navigate ourselves out of despair in prayer, but instead it's to learn from David that on our own, any attempts to pull ourselves out of hopelessness are hopeless. However, there is one who can. And so this morning, as we look at this psalm, I want us to see this framework that God gives to give hope to the hopeless. And so with that, we can jump in again, beginning in verse 1. David says, hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear to my pleas for mercy. In your faithfulness, answer me in your righteousness. Enter not into judgment with your servant, for no one living is righteous before you. For the enemy has pursued my soul. He has crushed my life to the ground. He has made me sit in darkness like those long dead. Therefore, my spirit faints within me. My heart within me is appalled. So beginning with verse 1 through 4, we find that this psalm is a prayer. But more than that, we see right away how vulnerable and raw David is. And verses 1 through 4, David cries out to God, for mercy and he opens up about the realities of how hopeless he feels and, and in just these few verses I find so much that we could unpack but I, I think two things stand out most to me and so first the order of events in verses one through four reveal something about David See, here we find David coming to God, and he doesn't start by asking for relief or rest, but instead David asks for mercy. David comes to God repentant. And so this word for mercy here, I'm going to um, uh, just ruin this word, but it's, it's takaun. It's often translated as supplication, which is an appeal to one in power or a quest Um, for their favor it's a plea for them to be generous it's it's uh, to treat you other than you deserve it's to beg for something earnestly or humbly and it's often done from your knees and so this is David's demeanor and posture towards God because verse two he knows that he's unrighteous he knows that he's unworthy before a holy God So David knows who he is before God and so he asks for mercy and only then does his prayer move from this confession, I'm a sinner who needs your mercy, into an honest expression of how he's feeling and it's crushed and faint. So church, when you come to God, what's your posture? When you pray, do your prayers start with repentance or begin with demands? David's prayer models for us this proper posture when approaching God's throne and its humility and its repentance. And so repentance is this necessary rhythm in our prayers. Is that true of yours? Now, not only does David's prayer reveal a posture of repentance, but his prayer also shows us how safe he feels before God despite his shortcomings. And because of that safety, he's able to be vulnerable and honest. See, not only does this prayer teach us something about David, but his prayer also teaches us about his God. So despite David's acknowledgement of his guilt and God's perfection, David can boldly cry out to God by name with full expectation that the Lord Yahweh is listening and cares to hear. And so for us, this should be a sign of hope. Church, we have a God who knows us, but more he allows us to know him by name. And though we are so unworthy, He's faithful and He listens whenever we cry out to Him. And so section 1 of Psalm 143 teaches us that when we suffer or feel ourselves slipping into despair, our first response should be the same as David's. We should come to God in repentance, but also with full confidence in His faithfulness to forgive and His desire to hear from us, His people and His children. So what a blessing that is to know we're here this morning because we worship and serve a God who not only is righteous but also merciful and who cares to hear our burdens. You know, I've been um, here with Liberty, a part of Liberty Northeast, Um, uh, I started here in January of 2021, so not that long ago. But in that short time, I've watched as God grew this place and moved this church from a room in a basement to to this building and this room that we're in now. Now. And in under two years, I've watched as families have come in and entered into our family here, been baptized, become members and serve and be served. Some of you have been here since the beginning and ha- have been just so steadfast. And others of you are pretty new, but have given your whole selves to be this part of a, a small section of God's kingdom in the Northeast. And so can I just encourage you, man, we're encouraged by you through something as insane as a global pandemic you worked hard to keep god's church alive in your neighborhood and to be the very presence of jesus here and so that's worth celebrating but also that's exhausting and so if you're exhausted don't be afraid to be honest and outside of here like listen Uh, If life is a freaking mess right now, don't worry about how others might see you or you may come across. I just said the word freaking in a sermon. David was honest with his repentance and his despair, and because of that, we, thousands of years later, get to know that we're not alone, but more we get to see how we can process through it with our God, who we can cry out to by name but also, and more, as God's people, we should seek to be a community that reflects the same safety and care. Like, care for one another is something that we see all over Scripture, but Galatians 6.2 puts it really succinctly, telling us to carry each other's burdens, and in this way, fulfill the law of Christ. And so that means that when someone like David says that he's been crushed to the ground, it's our job to help them up and ease whatever burdens put them there. In fact, it's the law. And so with that, I want to encourage you to be vulnerable and be honest with each other. If you're here this morning and the words of this prayer just hit home, know that you're not alone. And in fact, according to research I found from Boston University School of Public Health, listen to this, depression symptoms have risen from 8.5% in adults in 2020 to 32.8% last time I checked. So that's one in three people in the U.S. claiming that they can relate to David's prayer here. Church, that's a lot of hurting people. And listen, there's more than three of us in this room There's more than three of us in this room, which means the odds are that so many of us sitting here are facing times when this prayer feels so relatable to us. And so as we think about this room that we're in and the people here, your brothers and sisters, your neighbors who are suffering, if that's you, if you're tired, if you're depressed, if you feel hopeless, Share that with your family so that we can be your family and care for you the way Christ cares for you and has called us all to do so for one another. So my hope is that in so doing, it will remind you of the love that God has for you and for us, his people. That's my hope. And so from here in, in this psalm, um, David's prayer shows us where his confidence in God comes from. Read with me verses 5 through 6. He says, I remember the days of old and I meditate on all that you have done. I ponder the work of your hands. I stretch out my hands to you. My soul thirsts for you like parched land. Selah. That water. So verses 5 through 6 reveals to us where David's confidence in God comes from. David's able to boldly come to God because he remembers all that God has done in promised. You know, while I was reading this section, I was curious about the phrase days of old. I wondered if it had a pattern of use. Like, were these specific days he was referring to? Was this the same as the days of our youth? Was this last week? Was this pre flood, post flood? So I looked it up. Here's what I found it just means it was a really long time ago. Like Based upon its use in scripture, it seems like a way just to refer to generations past, a long, long time ago, the olden days. But more interesting is what I found uh, in regards to the word remember. And so there's two very similar words for remember in Hebrew, and this one is certainly a common word. However, it's always the one that's used in reference to God remembering his covenant promises. And this kind of remembrance always leads to action. For instance, when God remembers Noah and the floods subside. Or when he remembers his promise to Abraham and he puts into motion his plan for the exodus through Moses and so on. So this form of remembrance leads to action. And for David, remembering all that God had done moves his focus from the ground and his current circumstances to the heavens. And he stretches out his hands to God and yearns to be closer to him. And so I think understanding this form of remembrance is important for us. And important for two reasons. First, because in order to remember, you must first know. It's such a gift for us. But simultaneously so easy to take for granted our access to God's word. Like the majority of human history did not have access to the full canon of scripture the way we do. More than that, today with the internet we have commentaries and journals and all kinds of resources that can help us as we seek to find what it is that God's given us to know. Also he's given us his spirit. So take advantage of these things. Spend time in God's word like David. Meditate and ponder. There's a form of blessing that comes from such a thing. And when we remember all that God's done and promised, it leads to hope. And second, this kind of remembrance is important because it always requires and leads to action. You know, my, in my tenure as a pastor, I've seen large numbers of people who miss that point. And I've watched as people enter the church doors on Sunday morning just to leave an hour later, seemingly forgetting all that that assembly had for them to know or remind them of. And I've talked with people who believe that it was enough to know that God existed but refuse to submit to him as Lord. But James in his letter, right, we talked about this, uh, tells us that a faith without works is dead and that knowledge without action makes us no better than demons. Jesus himself tells us that if we truly love him, we would obey his commands. So to remember God is to know him and to respond to him in actionable ways. And so this morning, do you believe that you know God? And if so, in what ways do you remember him in the six days beyond Sunday of every week? Like David, we can, we can come to God in confidence because we can experience and remember all the times that God's people have been in despair and cried out to God and God remembered them. Biblical remembrance always leads to action. And so just as God remembers us and is faithful to us, we should respond in kind, just as God remembered and is faithful. We, remember him, should respond with a living and active faith. And so here at this halfway point in David's prayer, we see that when in the midst of despair, we, like David, should cry out to God in repentance, but also with confidence, remembering we worship a God who always remembers us. So as we enter into these kinds of prayers, we, we repent and we remember And so David approaching God recognizes his own guilt and repents. Then without fear, he makes himself vulnerable, uh, revealing exactly how he feels in confidence, remembering who his God is, and only then does he begin to make his requests. And so read with me verses 7 through 11. This is what he asks of God. He says, answer me quickly, O Lord. My spirit fails. Hide not your face from me lest I be like those who go down to the pit. Let me hear in the morning of your steadfast love, for in you I trust. Make me know the way I should go, for to you I lift up my soul. Deliver me from my enemies, O Lord, I have fled to you for refuge. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. For your name's sake, O Lord, preserve my life. In your righteousness, bring my soul out of trouble. And so here's David's prayer. Lord, reveal yourself to me. Speak that I might hear. Show me where to go. Rescue that I might live. Teach that I may obey. And let your spirit be my guide. All for your name's sake. There's so much we can learn from a prayer like that. David, through these prayers, shows us his active desire to be near to the Lord. And I specifically love verse 8. Let me hear in the morning of your steadfast love. David yearns for, for the knowledge and experience of God's love at the start of every day. Lord, I can't do this without you today. And his desire is for these ears which Christ later would appeal to in his gospel saying, let him who has ears hear. David's desire is to know God and to be known by God. And he wants to begin every day reminded of the steadfast love. And he wants to hear from God and be guided by him. You know, Scripture's full of all kinds of uh, amazing hyperlinks and different literary devices and themes. And among these, it's really interesting to see that many times we find a biblical character, when they're ready to make a decision, what they base a decision off of tells us what effect that decision will have. For instance, when God gave Adam and Eve the command regarding the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they made the decision not off of what God said, but off of what they saw. And things went south. And so from this point on in Scripture, there's this motif that appears. I've showed you this before, that when a character makes a decision based upon what they see instead of what they hear, we know how that will go. So it's Lot when he chooses to to live and he picks Sodom and Gomorrah for its beauty. It's the first generation in the wilderness when they see the giants of the land so they decide not to enter in. It's Samson falling for the Philistine women. It happens all over Scripture, and it's something we experience ourselves every day when we're forced to make decisions. What do you base them off of? Is it what you hear from God or what's right in your own eyes? And I gave you guys this as a quiz once before. But listen, we as human beings were historically bad at determining what's good and evil. Our definitions and our perspectives have been skewed. We can't trust them, but we can trust His. And in Him there's deliverance, and in Him there's refuge. Let Him teach you. Through Christ we've been given the gift of the Spirit. Let Him be your guide. And so David, in the midst of this despair, confesses his sins to God and pleads for God to hear him. He's vulnerable and he's honest with God in telling him exactly how he feels and how desperately he needs God's aid. And David reflects on all that God's done for those who have come before and have had prayers like his and in his life and in that remembrance that leads him to invite God into his suffering. And and David asks God to reveal himself and to speak and to Teach and to deliver and to guide, and he asks all of these things because he knows how steadfast God's love is for him. And finally, David asks God to do all these things for the Lord's glory. Why? Because despite his suffering, after remembering who his God is, he has this renewed confidence in his victory that will come, and so his hope is restored. And so, Psalm 143 models for us that when in the midst of this despair, we repent recognizing our sin and God's righteousness, but we also remember and we worship a God who always remembers us. And that biblical remembrance always leads to faithful action, and because of that, we can confidently make our requests known to God, be honest with how we're feeling, because we have a God, and we know we have a God who listens and loves. And so now read with me this conclusion of his prayer. Verse 12 And in your steadfast love you will cut off my enemies and you will destroy all the adversaries of my soul for I am your servant. So David enters his prayer with confidence that he serves a God who is able to turn what others desire for evil into good. And in this David prays to a God who is steadfast in his love. And David believes that this God is both righteous but also merciful. And because of that, he proclaims in this final verse of this psalm that he will receive salvation because God's steadfast love for his people is a promise that he made. And by remembering all that God has done, he knows that God always makes good on those promises. So David had access to the promises of God passed down from the patriarchs and prophets, and by remembering them, he's able to move in his prayer from this hopeless cry to a confident declaration because he knew that his God is so steadfast in his love for him and his people that he would do whatever it takes to be their refuge and salvation. And so today, we too can have confidence because of the same promises, but more, we have access to a fuller knowledge because of a king greater than David and a prophet greater than Moses. And this is why the Apostle Paul in Romans 15, he tells us that all that has been written in the former days, the days of old have been written to give us hope and to reveal that our ultimate source of hope is made manifest in Jesus Christ so that we may see God and glorify God for his mercy. And so Paul in verse 13, he prays that the God of hope would fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. And so that's my prayer this morning. That through this psalm, you'd find some comfort, knowing that you're not alone. And that through the revelation of Jesus Christ, you would find assurance of your pardon. God is steadfast in his love for those who would trust in him And he delivers all those who would come to him seeking that refuge and mercy. So be dependent in your prayers because we're hopeless without him. So if you're here this morning and you feel like you're on this road of despair, I invite you to cry out like David did. Yahweh will hear you. Psalm 143 teaches us that in these moments of despair and hopelessness, we can cry out to God, and He gives us a model to do so. Repent, remember, request, and receive. Let's pray.